Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Friggin, here with Phil Goldfeder. At, coming to you from Central Perk Cafe in beautiful downtown Cedars, New York. Sun is shining. It's quite windy, but it's, uh, it's looking like hints of spring. So it's uh, the wind is, is definitely whipping, and uh, Michael, just as a, maybe a change of pace, you know, I've, I've always wanted to try a hamburger for breakfast. Maybe we should try this, you know, from Traditions or, or another restaurant. If we can get them to open at you know at, at eight, you know, in the eight o'clock hour, I think that would be fantastic. Mike, I'm only kidding. <laughs> we can go anywhere else. <laughs> no, the, well, the coffee and hamburger is going to be difficult. That's the problem. So. Another week of politics and springtime. It's looking like potentially springtime for our president. We're 40 days in, and he gave a speech to rave reviews. He has had a week that uh, does not marred by some significant Twitter mistake. And, well, I dare say he sounds presidential. Is he growing into the job? You know, this was a good week. This was a good week. And I, as and I've said this before, and I think, you know, for any of our listeners out there who are questioning uh, my loyalties or my allegiances or, or my biased nature. I want to I be very clear. I want this president to succeed. I want every president to, to succeed. And so this was a good week. This was a really good week. And I, I, it's the perfect... It's sort of it's the perfect next step from where we were last week. I, I think the first three weeks were a train wreck, right? Couldn't get out of his own way. I think last week we saw that it was the natural problems that kept coming up, or cabinet picks that were having problems. And this week, not many problems. And so I think we're, we're, we're slowly uh, having a slow tra- progression towards a president that recognizes that I've got to find a way to get along. I've got to speak presidential. I've got to act presidential. And I've got to be president. I've got to govern and get things done. Yeah. I think the one thing that we're still getting to is the idea that you got to own everything. You're owning the whole thing. You're owning the country. You're owning all the problems. You're owning everything that comes along. He still wants to have a foil. He still wants to have an enemy, whether it's the press or whether it's Chuck Schumer or whether it's the protesters who he feels are, keep saying, are you know paid provocateurs. Uh, he still wants to have somebody to run against. He kind of said with regard to the raid in Yemen, well, it wasn't me. It was the generals. It was before me, predated me. You know, sometimes you just got to own up to it. I thought it was actually a great moment when he went ahead and... Uh, I, I acknowledge the Navy SEAL who died in the raid, and that, that was just a, a, a wonderful it, moment with his was, with his widow there. Uh, it was a touching moment. Um, it's, it's a moment that we've actually had in in various, uh, I mean, in others. But he he took an opportunity to tro- show tremendous empathy, and I think that that was important. A lot of people feel that you know he hasn't shown that, and definitely was presidential. I mean, that that that's the thing. He had the trappings, and I will say as well. One thing I did notice is he wore a much better suit than usual. The tie was done there. <laughs> I, I, right? I mean, that's, and, and you know what? That actually matters. So, Michael, for, for any of our listeners who don't know, I was, uh, I was chosen as the best-dressed uh, member of the legislature. I had, I was, that, I, was, that was a you know, little uh, softball for you there. And so I've noticed these things, and I noticed the suit fit a little better. The shoulders weren't as, as big. The tie was straight and, and crisp. And so, yeah, he, I think... Which is strange because for 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 a man like him, you'd think he would dress a bit better. A guy who manufactures his own clothes, <laughs> he would figure that he would. Eat, but but yes, he was definitely more. He seemed more put together. He seemed more comfortable. He seemed more comfortable with the whole environment, which I think was very interesting. Uh, he he just seemed like a natural up there on the stage. And this and it was a long speech. He said a lot. Of, said a lot of things. Not a lot of details. Um, 
Not a lot of details, but I want to go back to something you just said uh, in terms of, of the, so, the soldier and, and sort of the initial sort of blaming everyone else, right? At the end of the day, today, right now, this president is the commander-in-chief. So it doesn't matter if it was someone else's idea. It doesn't matter if it was started 35 years ago. It doesn't matter at all except for the fact that, you know, a soldier died on his watch and that he's the commander-in-chief. You have to own those decisions. You've, you've got to make the decision because you and I both know that he could have stopped it, right? That's his power. That's his right. He has that ability. He didn't for whatever reason. Again, he knows things that we don't know. Right. And so it was his decision, his call to make, and he has got to own it. And I well, think we talked about the last week. The president knows more or should know more than any other person on earth about everything. I mean, in theory, we could say that the president of the United States knows everything going on everywhere well, you'd hope. we'd hope but uh, you know, whatever there is to know whatever is possible to know he should know i mean somebody in the united states government uh, high up in the white house should be aggregating all this information to get it in front of him and i'll tell you one thing he didn't mention he didn't talk about his electoral college victory he didn't talk about voter fraud he didn't talk about all these distractions Michael, you, you, that right. have that have made that have made a i, I think it difficult for him over the last couple of weeks and we just said that's by, by definition that's what made this the first speech or the first public uh, engagement i would say that was presidential that was that that we could all look to it and say you know what that was really really good now the challenge is and, and i think that, that you said it there wasn't that many details but there were a lot of promises. There were, uh, there were a lot of promises. And I, I think, you know, it, it's it's all great when you say, hey, we're going to increase spending on defense. We're going to not touch anybody's entitlements. We're going to spend trillion dollars in infrastructure. And how are we going to do that exactly? Uh, you know, it was almost like a challenge to Congress. You guys figure it out. But, but the, you know what? That was also, <laughs> I thought, saw that but as a By the way, this was at the same time he already submitted a budget, which <laughs> well, some people would find... Uh, are going to find difficult. There's a lot going to be a lot there to swallow that budget for Democrats and Republicans. But I also looked at that as a positive because this was the first time where he actually looked to Congress and said, you guys have to help me do this, right? It wasn't, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. This was a message to Congress, a message to the American people that we've got to work together. Look, I think, you know, Democrats are, are, are wrong to sit because they want to sit or sit because they want to send a message. I think a message to the American people would have been, you know what, he's the president, he walks in the room, you stand up. I mean, it's just, it's just the way we do things. And, and I think the president, either whether you liked the tone or the exact rhetoric, he actually said to Congress, like, hey, I'm willing to work with you because we have a job to do. Which, by the way, is is very different from everything he's said till now. Everything he has said till now is, I alone, right? We all remember mm-hmm. that speech. I alone can get this done. He alone can't get this done. And I think this was the, the first week where he basically sent a, put out an olive branch and said, look, I'm going to work with you. Send me some ideas. Come work with me. Come sit with me. And let's try and find ways to get things done. Well, the Democrats didn't exactly embrace... Well, some of them didn't even stand up for anything, including... Some of them didn't even stand up for the Navy SEAL. Is that I, I apparently I saw on Twitter that a I couple, of, including a one who's been in the news this week, Keith Ellison. We'll get to him a little bit later. Um, apparently, they, he sat down. Uh, yeah, I, that's I saw that on Twitter. I didn't verify that. I didn't see pictures of everything. But apparently, I was told, and I saw that certain de- Democrats did not get up the entire time. That was kind of prearranged. Some of them didn't even come. Uh, Maxine Waters, who's a Democrat of of uh, California, Ranking said member. she wouldn't she, she wouldn't come because she didn't know whether she could control herself. And, and she's and, and let's be clear, she's the ranking member on the Financial Services Committee, and so I mean she has a big part of of sort of making sure our, our you know our budgeting and our banks and our financial systems are, are in place. And so I think that's pretty dep- it's a pretty sad state of affairs. And, and again, and I've I've met Congresswoman Waters, and and you know. 
we've had interactions and I've mostly been positive, but I'm disappointed, right? She's a member of Congress. Right. When you're elected by the people you represent, you're elected this to, is part of your job. to do a job, Absolutely. to do a job. Well, two things I want to I, I want to get to before we change topics off uh, off POTUS forty five here uh, is number one that was before the speech. The president actually well, it gives two things, two points of introspection. I would say, which we seem kind of rare for that we've seen uh, from Donald Trump in the twenty mo- months since he's been a politician. Number one is he said healthcare is going to be a lot more complicated than anybody thought. Now I don't know if it was anybody thought. Clearly, it was more than. He thought because everybody thought healthcare is complicated, and number two was the grades that he gave to himself for his first forty days: uh, A plus for effort, C plus for communication, but an A for achievement. <laughs> so I think that's absolutely fantastic. But you you think about it. I mean, every president says, "Oh, I'm, if only I could communicate better." Every, everybody, I would get an A for everything. But uh, so I, you know, what I would say is when he actually delivered the speech and talked about healthcare for the first time since he took office, I thought it was actually very done very very well. Right? He didn't say we're just doing away with it because it's bad. He actually laid out, here are the problems that I want to fix. Now, he didn't really say how he was going to fix them. He did say he was going to fix them. He didn't say how. But I thought he laid out a very – it was a very thought out and, and, and well said uh, sort of ideas of what the issues were and, and, and what needs to be fixed, essentially laying out what is broken and what he wants to fix. So. Can he do it? I still don't know. But for the first time, he didn't just say, we're going to get rid of it because it's all bad. He actually said, we're going to get rid of it because here are the issues and here are the issues we want to address. Yeah. And the other thing was the very odd Democrat response to the speech. I I will (laughs) say. former governor of Kentucky. I mean, okay. The the whole setting was weird. Okay. You're in a diner and there's no food on the table. There's no food. There's no coffee. There's no silverware. As Jews, and the first thing, you know, sitting here over coffee in a in a diner, and we're we're kind of thinking to ourselves, okay, what's going on there? I mean, that is weird. And you know, you couldn't find a, a sitting. A Democrat holding office to give the response to this to this speech. So I like what they tried to do, but I think they failed. Uh, I like the idea that you know we're going to go to the diner and we're going to speak to the everyman and, and we're going to paint this rosy picture that, that we're the American uh, middle class. But I think they, I, I think it was a swing and a miss. I think it was uh, number one. I think it was the wrong presenter. And number two, I think they, you know, while they tried to, to work on that background and the backdrop, it just yeah. didn't quite. It just seemed odd. Everybody's wearing like the same khaki pants and. And everybody's looking there all. St- it just it we're just very focused on the clothing this week, right? <laughs> so the, but but it's true if you think. I mean, and I, I should identify Governor Steve Rashier, former Governor Steve Rashier of Kentucky, a state that Trump won by thirty points. Okay, he he's and I hate to pick on this as I get on in years, but he's seventy-two years old, and you know you want to talk about the Democratic leadership. I mean, you're talking about all late seventies at this point in, in the House. You know, uh, Steny Hoyer. Uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, you know, uh, James Clyburn. I mean, it, th- there is no younger. And compare that to the House Republican le- Republican leadership. I mean, you got to. There is a visual problem, I think, in doing that. And, and again, not to pick on you know many members of the Senate are you know are, are older. There's no question. But you want to. I'm not, and I'm not picking on that. What I'm saying is, however, is that the best image to present? You want to. You have a, you know perhaps contrast with the president, who's 70 years old, who's the oldest president. You want to contrast that maybe a little bit with having a little bit of youth and a little bit of energy. Interestingly enough, I caught uh, and, and like you, I'm quite the political junkie, and I was watching MSNBC for hours after the speech ended just. 
to see the commentary and I switch around every once in a while. I'll put on Fox and I'll put on CNN. Wow. I do. Wow. No, I like to make sure that I'm, I'm getting... Uh, so you're watching a lot of fake news. A lot of fake news all over the place. Um, but I, I caught an interview with uh, Senator Cory Booker um, and it was funny because the question essentially kept getting asked him over and over again. Why didn't you give the response? Why didn't you give the response? Right. You're the perfect guy to give the response. You show the diversity of the Democratic Party. You show the youth of the Democratic Party. You show the, the, the enthusiasm of the Democratic Party. And so why didn't you do it? And uh, like a, a, an amazing... Like, you know, I, I happen to think he's a very skilled elected official. Um, he's a skilled politician, and he, you know, kept avoiding the, the direct question. Um, but I think that's a fair question that, that he should have asked, and, and clearly it wasn't his decision. Um, you could tell from his body language that I don't think he was so happy with the decision that was made. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, look, it's something Maybe he was shackled to the chair. We just couldn't see it. That yeah. was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know what did bother me, and I, you know, I forget which station I was watching, but... You know, someone made a comment about the Democrats running out after the speech. And, and anybody who's watching, you could see that the Democrats literally got up as quickly as they possibly can to shuffle out. And again, it was another mechanism of sending a message, right? Like, we're not a part of this show. But some of the commentators and some of the talking heads on some of the news shows, news shows were, oh, they just want to run out and get to the cameras quick. It's like, you know, let's, let's quote it. Look, they're sending a message. Let's, let's just let, let's give them that. Let them send their message. But let's not make up these ideas. Oh, politicians just want to get to the cameras. It just, there's certain things. There's certain, look, Donald Trump, and, and you're going to, you ready? You sitting down, Michael? Uh, yeah, hold on. Yes. He makes a point, right? Sometimes... They're not, you know, and every one of these shows, they're not delivering news. They're, they're giving their own color commentary that's just not necessary. And, and it's unfortunate because it gets shaded and clouded with the, there's, there's too much gray area. Yeah, you know, I mean, what, look, that, there's, that's a ton of it. I mean, I think that, that that's a big, that's popular these days. I mean, that's what sells is, is people watching talking heads have arguments on TV. So let's call, a, okay, let's call it what it is. That's not news. No, I agree. There's a lot of, a lot of commentary. How wow. do you fill, just say that? How do you fill 24 hours a day of, of, of content without doing that? So, anyway, this is Spin Class, and we're talking politics here. Michael Fring, Phil Goldfeder from Central Perk, uh, here on the Nockham Siegel Network, NockhamSiegel.com, around the world, and Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash radio, and I cut you off there. No, no, no. I think we would be remiss. I think there's a, a very important point. The opening few sentences of the entire yeah. speech. Yes. Well, it was a just that was a great segue. Go ahead. Ah, so, uh, Donald Trump essentially laying it on the line that... Laying it on the line that, that hate is not going to be accepted anywhere, essentially acknowledging the threats that have been going on, acknowledging the, the, the anti-Semitic attacks that have been happening in cemeteries across the country, and opening his speech with this idea that it's not going to be accepted, and then he is not going to shy away from it or, or, not, or be afraid to talk about it. And I look, as a Jewish person, uh, you know, as an Orthodox Jewish person living here in New York State, I obviously have uh, concerns of my own, and so I was very happy to hear that. I, I, bomb threats are terror. That's what it comes down to. This is this is an act of terrorism. When you want to intimidate somebody, what well, the point here is to evacuate these buildings, to make it untenable for people to have preschool, to send their kids to preschool there. It's to make people afraid, and that is a form of terrorism. Whether or not somebody, God forbid, gets bot- suffers grievous injury or even worse death, it's still terrorism. And what's going on is, and finally, the federal government is is waking up to it. Uh, Homeland Security yesterday. Department of Justice are finally getting around. And I think it was, look, you can never say, I, I don't want to blame, a, I can blame a politician for being late and not, but once they're doing it, stop blaming them. And I, I really was, it was a little bit upsetting that Hillary Clinton, after the president had already made a, made a comment, why aren't you doing anything? It was kind of after, okay, look, you want to say he's late, you want to say he didn't do enough originally, but now they're finally doing something. People are going to start asking questions, because what I'm about to say is, and what we've talked about is, 
once you recognize, you know, we talked about Holocaust remembrance and, and the, the taking the Jews yeah, out. Yeah, right? I don't think they still acknowledge that one, but that's okay. Forget it. But that, the, the point we made on this show and the point we, we tried to make was, look, you can make mistakes. People get it. You make mistakes, but you wake up the next morning and you say, whoops, we made a mistake, and you fix it instantly. It's not a story. If you recall, the story was not what was omitted from that statement. The, the story, lack of apology. It was the lack of, of accepting the fact that I made a mistake and I right. want to move. And you double down and you triple down. With this... They didn't. I right. think there was a recognition that, whoops, we probably should have been on this quicker. We probably should have said something sooner. And so I think that's why it was so important that he led his speech with it. And you know what? I, it's disappointing that, that certain people are going are gonna to try and use these things to, to make political points. Well, I, I don't want anti-Semitism to be a political football. But I, I will say some Trump surrogates did not get that message because watching CNN yesterday in the morning and on New Day, Anthony Scaramucci, who's a Trump surrogate who was supposed to be in the White House, but for whatever reason didn't end up in the White House. Now you know why. Uh, well, I guess so. I mean, he was still giving the other message, the alternative message, that we don't know who's behind these attacks, and he actually suggested that perhaps the Democrats or the Jews were doing it to themselves in order to make Trump look bad. Okay, that is the worst I have ever heard. I mean, it's... It, I was cringing even thinking that somebody could be that twisted to think about to say that the first of all even if his people on the left you should still condemn them okay i don't care who's who's responsible for turning over headstones it doesn't matter to me it matters the fact that it's happening and there should be penalties and we should be investigated by right, whoever I, did it should right, be punished whoever did it but like this idea that somehow the president shouldn't respond or the white house shouldn't respond because it might be people on the left we have to figure out if it's democrats doing this huh i mean god i got to tell you I, I understand why this guy's not in the white house Exactly right, and I think that's although like, he is a very good talking head, <laughs> well, clearly not so uh, not so good, but uh, which is a perfect. Uh, he's think, a good messenger, but he's got a poor message. <laughs> perfect segue right into here in New York State. In New York State, we've seen a similar yes. uptick uh, in Staten Island, uh, in Albany, in Buffalo. We've here seen, in here in Long Island, here in the Oceanside, Plainview, uh, Westchester County, I mean, the New Rochelle, Tarrytown, West Nyack. I mean, it, it is staggering when you think about it. How many JCCs have been affected by bomb threats? And if here? you have not seen them, I, I urge everybody to go online, take a look at the pictures of. Of, of cribs and, and two-year-olds having to be wheeled out of the front door. Now, you could say, well, it was just a threat. What's the problem? Terrorism. It's this th- is terrorism. When it's a threat to you, yeah, you understand there's a problem that you've got to, you have to embrace it, right? You can't just sit there and, and hope nothing happens. You've got to prepare. And so you've got to get out of the building and you've got to wheel the the um, the cribs and the and, and the, the high chairs out of the building. And it is a very sobering picture. Um and so, which which is a perfect segue, right, to talk about sort of what Governor Cuomo is doing and, and what he has done. And I, I again, I give him a, a tremendous amount of credit. We were invited, uh, as you all know, and our listeners know, I'm the newest assistant vice president for government affairs at Yeshiva University. You don't say. I do. Um, and together with our general counsel and, uh, and vice president Avi Lauer, we attended a, a roundtable discussion with the governor last Thursday. To discuss Even though the table wasn't round, it was actually very long. It was but very long, it was square, uh, but it was a round table discussion, a square table discussion, I don't know why I call it that, um, where we literally discussed the issues. We got updates from the state police and the superintendent, and I was encouraged again, once again, you know, look, there's not always an answer. Right? There's not always like, hey, we're going to do this and it's going to stop it, right? We don't know what the answer is, but to know that government, uh, that Governor Cuomo and the, and the state police are giving it the attention, the resources, the credibility that it deserves, I thought was very, very well, important. Well, the governor visited the JCC in Albany yesterday. Um, I happened to be in Albany yesterday. Uh, he visited the JCC in the morning, which I think is a very important symbolic act of, sol- of solidarity. And I think politicians can't go, can't do enough symbolism in this in this case to show people not just that they're safe but we are have you back i think that's important he also announced that he's going to be going to israel this weekend um with delegation now i'm a little bit i i am not 
Now, I think politicians should get Israel. I think that's great. I'm not sure the message of going to Israel in solidarity with the Jews of the United States who are under siege fantasy unless you want your message to be perhaps Jews should move to Israel. I know that's obviously not the not the message, but you know, there are two separate issues. I mean I understand like anti Israel and anti Semitism and, and, and terrorism, you know, they kind of all roll together. But it's not like, hey, you know, if somebody were to say to me who I've been working for, um, you know, should we condemn? You know, there's a swastika painted um, here on a bench. Okay, let's go to Israel. I would be like, well, that's well. Look, we overcall. <laughs> that might not be the best response. Over a million people saw the David Greenfield speech, right? Where he basically said, you know, a lot, most people don't see the difference, right? right. Anti-Semitism, anti-Israel. I mean, number one, number two is, is look, we don't know what he's doing there yet. I don't think the agenda has been released. I'm very happy that, that I'm happy he's going. By the way, and, and President Richard I, Joel, as on behalf of Yeshiva University, was invited to attend with them uh, and well with, uh, with so many other Jewish leaders, and, and so we're happy about that. But I think number one, it sends a very strong message, right? Number two is I don't know what they're doing. And so maybe they're meeting with security experts. Maybe they're going to, to hear from people on how to use use whatever, you know, sort of the best Israel defenses on, on situations like this. And so I, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged that. that oh, we- absolutely. I, I, you know, it's far be it from me to uh, I, certainly not saying that it should be. Condemned. I wasn't saying it was negative towards <laughs> it. I just the cynic in me is saying, uh, you know, but I will say the $25 million that he announced and we're going to put before I the legislature. I mean, last year, the state Senate, <coughs> excuse me, gave $15 million for security that ended up going, uh, uh, for non-public schools. If I, if uh, so now it's, be, now it's like moving up to $25 million. I, well, let me, let me just sort of oh. take this step back. This started three years ago. With I'm sort sorry. Of, uh, with yes. The, so when, with when Assemblyman a certain, a certain assemblyman was in Albany and the governor was talking about the safe act and making gun control laws and, and increasing funding for security. That was something that, that me and assemblyman Mike Samanowitz and, and other Senate Republicans, Republicans sort of stood up and said, hey, if we're going to be talking about security, we've got to talk about non-public schools. And so at the time, it was only $5 million. Last year in the state budget, that was my last year in the assembly, we actually increased it to $10 million. The governor is announcing we're going up to $25 right, million. You did it to 10 The, the Senate made it 15 that was last year. No, I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Say, I'm just, I'm I'm just and, saying. You know, and, now we're up, and, and now we're up to 25. We don't know exactly how that money is going to be allocated and how it's going to be distributed, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. I, a lot of politicians, and, and, and I talked about this in Albany to quite a few yesterday, uh, and uh, I was, you know, had a, a couple policy meetings with regard to the security money, and they don't realize the staggering costs. Uh, your average yeshiva is spending in the area of four to five hundred dollars per student on security costs. So even if you were to take a number like twenty-five million dollars, which is great, divided by all the non-public school students, all yeshiva students, and you're you're getting maybe to twenty, thirty dollars a student. You know, even if you if you cut down tremendously on the you know on that number. So the number on security, the security number is huge. It's a huge burden. And you know, in New York City, they went ahead and and got security guards. Uh, our school, schools locally here in Fort Rockaway are benefiting from that. Um, I know uh, you know some of the schools, some have five security guards, some have three security guards. Now, hats off to Councilman Greenfield for for yep. making for making that happen over the objections, actually, of the mayor. Um, that uh, unfortunately, but fortunately, Governor Cuomo has to, is taking leadership on this, and hopefully, this will be extended to schools outside of New York City. Yeah, look, I every single day, and I, I I'm on a campus. I, I work on a campus uh, with literally hundreds of thousands of students who, who come through every day. So I understand the security risk, but I also understand the cost that's associated with it, right? It's incredible. And it is really incredible. I mean, we, we take it for granted a little bit, like, you know, sort of just controlling the entrances and exits of every school. I mean, you take a look at some of these schools, there's four, five, six entrances, six exits, plus 
you know, this idea that, well, you know, about the streets and, and the, the, all the, the, every time you come up with a, a, a solution to a problem, you know, sadly, there are bad people out there that come up with new ways to hurt people. And so, so you know, it's an expensive thing. It's, it's always evolving. And so every penny counts. And so when the city, when the, when, when the city and, and That's right, the, every penny counts. When the councilman did that with the security guards was, was very important. The state, the governor is now recommitted. And, and obviously, as so many people have been taking advantage, there's there's federal funding for this as well. And so we got to keep pushing for that. Right. This is Spin Class coming to you from Central Park in beautiful downtown Cedarhurst, New York, here with Phil Goldfeder on the Nachum Siegel Network. And uh, let's talk about uh, what I consider to be a mixed week for Mayor Bill de Blasio. I know we're outside of New York City, but we focus on the you know big races, and the 2017 comes into shape. Uh, you know, you have a couple county executive races, you have the governor of New Jersey race, you know that we see here, a couple of the governors race. But the big race that people focus on in the press is the mayor of New York City. Bill De Blasio started off the week pretty poorly, uh, would I say, because his handpicked candidate for DNC chairman. Keith Ellison, of uh, congressman from Minnesota, uh, would have been the first Muslim uh, uh, chairman of the DNC. Lost out to Tom Perez, who was the who became the establishment, interestingly enough, uh, because he was uh, he was uh, Barack Obama's pick. Um, the first Latino head of the G- DNC. Now, De Blasio, strangely enough, I'll let you chime in there because it's your domain. Didn't endorse two New Yorkers running for vice chairs, Grace Mang and Michael Blake, who you talked about last week, who you give wholehearted endorsements to. Instead, he endorsed somebody from California who who lost. And then, oh, I'm sorry, who won? I apologize. But then, but his chairman pick, when he went out of his way to talk to Keith Ellison, he went out and who, who then lost. And I, I don't know, like, you don't endorse the New Yorkers. You go out in a limb, endorse the guy who, who lost. You travel to Atlanta to campaign for them. You know, you gotta, you gotta just somehow. He every time he goes trying to go, goes national, he fumbles. Yeah. Plus, and I, I read this morning. Uh, I read this morning in the paper that he's gonna be doing two two fundraisers for his New York City mayoral campaign outside of New York State and in other states. And so, it was a little bit odd. N- number one, remember where he was coming from. And I, you know, look, I'm not judging. And I, you know, obviously, you know, I think things shouldn't be investigated. But he was coming from a, a f- over four hour grilling from the U.S. Attorney on on the investigations going on. Literally went straight from there to the airport to Atlanta. To endorse, and, and again, I wasn't there, so I'm, I'm, I'm hearing from other people that people didn't want to. He, number one, he didn't get a role. He didn't get a, an official role at the convention. And number two, um, people kind of were, were not sure what to make of him. But why not endorse the New Yorkers? I, I can't answer. Look, I, we talked about this last week. I can't answer that question. To me, it seemed like, number one, the two New Yorkers who won, and I'm so excited. I mean, one of them is African-American. One of them is Asian-American. These two constituencies, in theory, you would want to be... It was supportive. It seemed like a kind of a no-brainer. Meaning, right. and, and the only thing I could think of, you know, with with, with Michael Blank, who was uh, an Obama White House, uh, part of the Obama uh, White House administration, you know, maybe he's, you know, he wanted to sort of distance himself from that. But I can understand that maybe. But but Grace Wang, Congresswoman Grace Wang, is probably one of the most liked members of Congress. She is. Very she was likable. the most loved member when she was in the State Assembly. Right. I mean, she is just. She was the. I mean, literally was. I mean, I, there's nothing bad you could say about her. Um, and, and they won. And they both won <laughs> without the mayor's endorsement. And the one person the mayor endorsed, Keith Ellison, lost. And so, yeah. you know, look, we've talked about this. I actually like the mayor. I think he's doing a good job here. I just, you know, once again, he, he's he's making mistakes he doesn't have to make. Right? He's doing things extra that he doesn't have to do, and that's what's getting him And by trouble. the way, he was with Trump on this one because president on Twitter endorsed... Keith Ellison. After after he lost, though, he said that it was rigged. Wow, that's quite that's a stretch. Him, so, and, him and so, Donald Trump. It must be something. It must be something going on here. Now, another another a 
group that also endorsed uh, that also was the Working Families Party. And I think we're going to have to do, save this for a different segment because perhaps one day somebody can explain to me the Working Families Party, which is a different party, somehow seems to be the tail that wags the dog of New York State Democrats in many different uh, situations. And the Working Families Party, strangely enough, was wholly in supportive of Keith Ellison. Now, like, I don't... You know, they were putting out statements and they made statements afterward that they're going to lose progressives and everything. You know, guys, you're a different party. Like, if you want to be Democrats, join the Democratic Party. Like, I don't decide. I, I don't tell Democrats what to do. You know, I hate to say it. And the Working Families Party, who wants to sit and criticize the Independent Democratic Caucus in the Senate, that's exactly what they are, right? Why do we need a Working Families Party, right? Let them come and join the Democrats and be the left-wing portion of the Democratic Party. They want to be, you know, isolationists and do their own thing and have their own message, then, then stay out of it uh I, you know i just to, to quickly today I, I, the poll numbers came out uh, yes re-election polls 2017 it's a big election year especially in new york city and and yeah the numbers are good for de Blasio. and the numbers are fantastic right, I, I wouldn't i'm not going to go into the fantastic realm but i'll say good 60 if the elections were held tomorrow 64 percent of the people who are polled said they would support bill de Blasio for mayor right but they and, also say they don't trust him and they don't find it, him to be honest you know and this is a great message to our listeners right that doesn't matter it doesn't matter well clearly but, in 2016 it didn't matter so, so people say i don't trust him i think i don't like the fact that he's under investigation i don't like this i don't like that i don't like this but come tomorrow i'm gonna vote for him it goes to the same thing you know people sit and talk about i don't like congress i don't like congress i don't like congress they're dysfunctional they're not getting done but will you vote for your congressman? Oh, yeah, he's fantastic, right? That's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, it only matters what people go into the voting booth and are going to do. 64% of the people who said, some of which said, I don't like what he does here. I don't like this. I don't like that. But I'll still vote for him. Well, that's right what now, matters. Right now, there's very little in the way of alternative that's out there people are seeing. I mean, yes, there's Paul Massey on the Republican side. Did you see John's the numbers? Katz and Matitas might go Yeah, I see, I see the numbers. Take a look the at Scott's, Scott's potential Absolutely. primary challengers. Uh, Scott I Stringer and Tish James are Don't disagree. We're going to get in that in a future week. This is spin class. And the last comment I want to make is if you are very serious about combating anti-Semitism around the world, don't put in your budget, Mr. President, that you want to cut the U.S. envoy for anti-Semitism. Uh, it just is bad optics. Uh, for a couple bucks you, that you might be saving, you can actually uh, perhaps save yourself some angst. This is Spin Class here on the Malcolm Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. See you next week.